We present the unbelievable truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to the unbelievable truth. You've heard of the Magnificent Seven and the Famous Five, so it's without hesitation that I call tonight's quartet of comedians this week's four. <laughs> Please welcome Tony Hawks, Lucy Porter, Ed Byrne and Charlie Higson. <laughs> the rules are as follows. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five pieces of true information which they should attempt to smuggle past their opponents, cunningly concealed amongst the lies. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. We'll begin with Tony Hawks. In earlier days, Tony was in a band which got in the charts with a comedy single called Stutter Rap. And only after listening to it did I realise Stutter Rap must be rhyming slang. (laughs) (laughs) Tony, your subject is gambling, described by my encyclopaedia as to play at any game of chance for money or other stakes. Off you go, Tony. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you. Just before the show tonight, international male model Tony Hawks bet David Mitchell one pound that he could say the word crestfallen three times without it appearing that the words had been obviously crowbarred in. Should no one buzz at this point claiming this to be a truth, he will be crestfallen. (laughs) There is a law in New Hampshire stating that the gambling game bingo, invented by Lulu, cannot be played by men in stripy tops unless they happen to be crestfallen. See how David Mitchell's face displays despair at his one-pound loss. In 1978, a Chicago man was killed during a game of Russian roulette with his last words, Don't worry, it's not loaded. Ed. I think that might be true. That is true. It was Terry Kath, the frontman of the band Chicago, and he shot himself at the kitchen table of roadie Don Johnson shortly after rebuking Johnson's warnings to be careful. Kath, a long-term gun enthusiast, is thought to have been drinking. (laughs) California is home to the world's smallest bookmakers in a town called Hancock. It's just 20 feet square. Ed. I believe that to be true also, the town of Hancock having the smallest bookmakers. No, it's not true. Oh, dear. But I, I know what you mean. That seemed sort of... Yeah. I mean, not to be rude to Tony, but uninteresting enough yeah. to be plausible. <laughs> yes. Well, when I did this show a few weeks back, I was so entertaining all the way through that they got nearly all my truths. So um, I've since rethought my technique. You've come back and decided to really grind it out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> your, yeah. your gain is the show's loss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's also illegal in this state to raffle a dog unless it's been castrated. Madonna once worked as a bingo caller as did Oliver Reed Denzel Washington (laughs) Russell Crowe and Tony Parsons Ed I'm gonna go for Russell Crowe Bingo Yes. (laughs) Yes Teenage Crow was fired from the job after using rude phrases to call numbers, including number one, up your bum. (laughs) And, I mean, he's still one of the world's great wits. (laughs) 
<laughs> to anyone who doesn't think so, prepare to have a phone thrown at their head. <laughs> Roulette was first played in Belgium in 1840, when farmer Albert Ix and his son Raoul were idly throwing stones at a cartwheel. After a while, they grew tired of the game, so they went up to the attic and got out the old family roulette wheel. <laughs> it's not just humans who gamble. Fish bet on who will be caught by fishermen. Zebras bet on how many stripes their young will have. And computers bet on how often their users will come home pissed and write bitter, petty emails to ex-lovers. <laughs> Lucy. Hang on, I've just realised the first thing is not just humans who gamble. If any of those are true, that must be true, which leads me to believe that actually none of them are true because then he wouldn't have said the first one because then he'd know that that was true. Your logic is, is absolutely unimpeachable. <laughs> but you, <laughs> but so, you should have used it before you buzzed. Yeah, I should yeah. have done yeah. exactly that, yeah. yes. Only humans gamble, only humans kill each other. <laughs> but then only humans laugh. Or well, animals kill each other. No, but that... No, anim- <laughs> Do animals kill? Yeah, they do yeah, kill yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. Territorials kill each other. Territorials. They have territorials. I thought, I thought that what people death. said, and What's by that? people I mean basically, you know, hippies, <laughs> is that, you know, whereas humans we have like the First World War animals, they'll, they'll fight a bit for territory, but they won't let it get too far. Yeah. They won't let it get to actual deaths and yeah, stuff. No. But they do eat their own children, David. Who do? Mm. Animals. Animals. I've yeah. seen it. Hamsters eat their own children. Yeah. That definitely counts as killing each other. Chimpanzees, I think they murder yeah. each other as well. Well, what the, have the hippies been saying yeah, to me? I don't know. Look, I don't he, believe I, that you know any hippies, I went, I went it. I know lots of hippies. <laughs> David thinks I'm a hippie because my hair is long. He doesn't know what a hippie is. <laughs> <laughs> he, thinks, he thinks Robert Webb is a hippie. Yeah. <laughs> right, I've forgotten where I was now. Robert Webb is a hippie. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fantastic. he used to have an earring, you know. It's, uh... <laughs> Computers also love poker, and many compete in their own world championships, hoping they don't crash just before they collect their winnings. Charlie. I believe that there is a world championship poker of computers. You're absolutely right, there is. Since 2006, the annual computer poker competition has allowed computer programmers from all over the world to let their computers compete against each other. There are two winners in each event, the computer that wins most matches and the computer that wins most money. Last year, about 70 million hands were played in order to mediate the effects of luck and arrive at statistically significant results. So I'm surprised that hasn't been televised because it sounds pretty (laughs) engrossing. The smallest bet ever recorded was made by Bruce Forsyth who bet a single human hair that he could get the job presenting Strictly Come Dancing. He got odds of three million to one and walked away with a complete head of hair. In 1995, one punter waged £1,000 on a bet that Goran Ivanisevic would not smile on centre court. Another punter won £200 by betting that Cliff Richard would get off with Martina Navratilova. Ed. I believe the £1,000 on Goran Ivanisevic not smiling on centre court. You're right to believe oh. that. That's absolutely true. <laughs> Ladbrokes offered good odds of 13 to 10, but Ivanisevic was so incensed when told about the bets that he smiled brightly for the cameras every time he appeared on court. <laughs> in 2004, George Bush and Tony Blair bet every single person in the world that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> They were right. 
and Blair and Bush are highly revered and worshipped wherever they go, whereas the rest of us are deeply ashamed. Some might even say crestfallen. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. And at the end of that round, Tony, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel, which is that in California it is illegal to raffle a dog unless it's been castrated. <laughs> um, anyway, that means, Tony, you've scored one point. In 18th century English gambling dens, there was an employee whose only job was to swallow the dice if there was a raid by the constabulary. Presumably it was retrieving the dice afterwards that inspired a new game. Craps. <laughs> OK, we turn now to Lucy Porter. Lucy recently observed that over the past couple of years, she's been pregnant for a total of 18 months, which I guess means she's now the mother of two young children or one baby elephant. <laughs> Your subject, Lucy, is teeth, hard, bone-like structures that grow in the mouth and are used for biting or chewing. Off you go, Lucy. Vlad the Impaler had all his teeth ripped out in front of his army and replaced them with dentures made from the teeth of his enemies. Mao Zedong never brushed his teeth. Tony. Well, we just know that Mao Zedong never brushed his teeth. All of us in this room were amazed that you <laughs> even bothered to put it in there. It's so true. <laughs> well, it is true, actually. Oh! <laughs> um, as a result, his physician, Dr. Lee, said they were covered by a green patina. Mao justified his poor oral hygiene by comparing himself to a tiger, an animal which doesn't brush its teeth either. <laughs> you could pick a lot of animals yeah. there. But Back also to, yeah. doesn't eat sweets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Squirrel. Squirrels don't brush their teeth. No. Mm. Never seen a worm brush no, its no, teeth. No, no. <laughs> doesn't have any teeth. They've all fallen out due to decay and yeah, eating exactly. mud. Yeah. <laughs> and, and its own children and starting the First World War. <laughs> Take that, hippies. <laughs> False teeth are often radioactive, meaning that if an old person bites you, there's every chance you'll turn into a superhero whose special powers include boring people to death with photos of your grandchildren. I'm going to go with the fact that false teeth may be very slightly naturally radioactive. Yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Um, not the very modern sort of false teeth, but porcelain dentures that we used, I think, until about the 1970s or 80s, often contain naturally occurring radiation in potassium-40, in addition to which manufacturers in the 1940s began to add uranium to the porcelain powder, <laughs> believing that the fluorescence of the uranium helped to mimic the look of natural teeth. <laughs> However, in addition to possible health problems, uranium could also have the added disadvantage of fluorescing red, violet or bright yellow under UV lights. So, Disco teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's always embarrassing if your disco teeth go off at a funeral, though, isn't it? <laughs> You don't even know hippies, and yet you go to funerals with UV lights. <laughs> when it came to handing out teeth to the animal kingdom, Mother Nature was not particularly fair. Unlike frogs, toads have no teeth, snails have up to 750,000... Tony. Frogs have teeth. <laughs> you are right. The fact is that unlike frogs, toads have no teeth. So frogs yes. have teeth. Well done. Thank you. Frogs <laughs> The walrus walks on its teeth, the southern flying squirrel uses its long incisors for balance when in the air, and eastern tube-nosed bats have long lower teeth that they use to clean their noses, leading their mummies to say, take that tooth out of there or you'll make it bleed. 
Ed. That last one, the bats cleaning themselves with their teeth. No. Lads, I suggest one of you buzz in on one of the others. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go so. for the walrus. You're right, Ella. Yeah. I should have just had that as well. <laughs> Walruses walk on their teeth, or sort of drag themselves along on their teeth. And the walrus's family name, Odobenidae, comes from Greek, meaning one that walks with teeth. Any Americans who think British teeth are terrible should see the 2009 World Health Organization survey, which found we actually rank 21st in the world for oral health, a full 15 places above the USA. The country with the most dentally challenged residents is Tajikistan, or as the natives pronounce it, Tajikistan. <laughs> Ed. I'll say that Tajikistan came bottom of this list of most... No, there is, there is no such data available, right. I, I'm told. Tony. I'm going for us finishing above the Americans on the teeth. No. We are worse than the Americans oh. in dental decay, so I'm afraid it rather conforms to their oh. stereotype. I was just trying to represent the UK a bit, you know. No, I mean, I think... We're all feeling pretty good about ourselves after the Olympics, and now you damn us with this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the UK came below the Americans in that too, so... <laughs> Don't mean you should really bring it up. I'm thoroughly depressed. Yeah. <laughs> if I hadn't been for Ireland doing so shit, I wouldn't mind. Mm. <laughs> That's because you stole all our athletes. <laughs> That's the end of Lucy's lecture, and she has smuggled... Uh, I'm surprised to see only one truth oh. past the rest of the panel which is that the Mediterranean umbrella snail has up to 750,000 teeth. These are on its radula, a minutely toothed ribbon found in mollusks. And that means, Lucy, you've scored one point. A walrus walks with its teeth. It uses its long tusks to pull itself out of the sea and to drag itself along on land. It is the only animal to do this, apart from Janet Street Porter. <laughs> Next up is Ed Byrne. Ed has himself pointed out that his name is an anagram of Be Nerdy. Quite apt, though not as appropriate as an anagram of David Mitchell, which works out as Camel Hid TV Lid. Can I just point out that Tony Hawk's is an anagram of Wanky Tosh? <laughs> <laughs> Ed, your subject is tortoises and turtles, reptiles that live on both land and water and are characterised by a large shell into which they are able to retract their legs and head. Off you go, Ed. If I had to pick just one fact to tell you about tortoises, that would be cheating. <laughs> <laughs> However, of all the tidbits of information that came up, the one that blows my mind the most is that 60 million years ago, tortoises were the size of Volkswagen Beetles. Imagine that. There were Volkswagen Beetles 60 million years ago. <laughs> There is no need to confuse tortoises, turtles and terrapins as long as you remember... Charlie. <laughs> yeah, they were the size of Volkswagen Beetles. You're right, they were. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Fossilised remains of the coal turtle were found in a mine in Colombia in 2005 and other similar-sized animals were thought to have lived as recently as two and a half million years ago. Tony. The next thing he said was also true. What was that? There's no need to mix up turtles, terrapins and things. There's no need to. I never, I never do it. Is that I, I no hadn't need... finished the sentence. <laughs> they didn't finish the sentence. There is no need to confuse tortoises, turtles and terrapins as long as you remember. <laughs> There's no need to. Well, you don't know, actually. There may be circumstances where there is a need to. <laughs> For example, if you were in a farce 
the plot of which <laughs> depended on a confusion between a tortoise and terrapin and a turtle, then it would be necessary that you confuse them night after night. You may become quite embittered in that, thinking, this isn't what I got into this business for. Why do I need night after night to confuse tortoises, turtles, terrapins, etc.? But I do. I feel an idiot now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Can't buzz in your own ground. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> Sorry. There's no need to confuse tortoises, turtles and terrapins as long as you remember the following simple rule. Turtles grow up from the ground while tortoises grow down from the ceiling. <laughs> An interesting fact about the Fitzroy River tortoise in Australia is that when it's on land, it breathes through its mouth, but when it's in the water, it breathes through its anus. Lucy. Yeah, I'm going to go that that is true. It does. Oh. Yes. Yeah. The tortoise has adapted the ability for cloacal breathing, a process where water is drawn into and expelled from the tortoise's posterior opening in order to be able to breathe on the downstream sides of logs or rocks in the fast-flowing River Fitzroy in Queensland. It's very much a set of problems not everyone has, but it's <laughs> to solve them. As a result, the Fitzroy tortoise is commonly referred to as the bottom or bum-breathing tortoise. <laughs> the ancient Egyptians used to believe that eating tortoise eggs could aid fertility, bathing in tortoise blood could cure venereal disease, and rubbing mashed tortoise brains into your eyes could cure blindness. <laughs> Tony. OK, let's take our time on this one. <laughs> I think the, the blood thing cure them of venereal disease. No. <sighs> Charlie. I'll go for the eggs. No. Oh. <laughs> Lucy. Unlikely as it seems, I feel I should go for mashing them into their eyes to cure blindness then. You're right. Oh, yes, no, no. That's no way to win a point. Yeah, mashed tortoise brains mixed with honey were believed to cure cataracts. The Roman physician Galen was still promoting this cure in the 2nd century AD. <clears throat> the sea turtle's heart rate can be anything from 40 beats a minute in warm water to once nearly every 10 minutes in cold water. Tony. Well, I'm coming in on this, this heartbeat thing. That is true. Yeah, <laughs> yes, well done. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes them very bad, then, like in an episode of ER, you never saw a sea turtle because they'd go like, clear! <laughs> We'll have to wait ten minutes. <laughs> you know how people say when someone's heart stops, they say, you know, I was actually legally dead, yeah. dead for five minutes. Which well, really annoys me. You're saying you've come back from the dead. No, what happened is you didn't die. You okay. nearly yeah. died. David, David, stop hanging out with these hippies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Studies have shown that female turtles are more sexually active when they are sad. I knew a girl like that once. I would show her footage of cute little hatchling sea turtles crawling into the sea for the first time and then tell her that a baby sea turtle's chance of surviving until adulthood is one in 10,000. Worked every time. Charlie. Yeah, I think there's chances of survival is one in 10,000. You're absolutely right. Yes. The many obstacles in their way mean that huge numbers of baby turtles must hatch each year in order to maintain the population. But if a turtle does make it to maturity, it can live to 170 years of age. So, you know. Wow. And that's the end of Ed's lecture. Thank you, Ed. And I'm afraid to say, Ed, that at the end of that round, you've smuggled no truths past the rest of the panel, which means you've scored naught points. <laughs> 
The Hindu god Vishnu's second incarnation was as a tortoise. Not his proudest moment, living in a shoebox with Vishy written in Tipex on his shell. <laughs> now it's the turn of Charlie Higson. When Charlie wrote his first book about a young James Bond, he says he'd test the chapters out on his own kids, who greeted each new character with the words, Kill him. And he's expecting a similar response from them to his next book, a biography of Simon Cowell. <laughs> Your subject, Charlie, is The Lemon, a yellow oval fruit known for its aromatic flesh and very sour juice. Off you go, Charlie. Yes, uh, Swiss alchemist Adolfo Nazigold <laughs> invented the lemon in 1356 after he had already invented the lemon squeezer and was desperate to find a use for it. <laughs> Luckily for Adolfo, word got around in the Middle Ages that if you accidentally swallowed a fishbone, lemon juice could dissolve it, giving rise to the custom of serving a slice of lemon with fish. At the Battle of Lepanto in 1571, the Turks ran out of ammunition and pelted their Christian enemy with lemons. This gave rise to the Turkish saying, if life gives you lemons, throw them at a Christian. Tony. They didn't say that, but <laughs> they did run out of ammunition and they did throw lemons at their enemy. They did. Yes, yes well done. Yeah, the, the outnumbered Ottoman fleet ran out of missiles and threw lemons and oranges at the Holy League soldiers, who in turn threw them back, prompting scenes of hysterical laughter amid the carnage of the naval battle. <laughs> in traditional Romanian weddings, the groom enters the church with a lemon under his chin. Rubbing a lemon under your arms is a traditional Puerto Rican treatment for a hangover. And, of course, the Greeks use lemons as money, as all the real money has run out. <laughs> all right, <Yeah>. then. <laughs> the lemon in the armpit hangover traditional cure. It's yeah. true. You're right. It is. Yeah. Yes, uh, limes are also used for this purpose, as it's incorrectly believed that citrus fruit prevents sweating and so helps the body retain fluids and prevents headaches. Though in Outer Mongolia, pickled sheep's eyes in tomato juice are the preferred hangover cure. <clears throat> preferred by whom? Yeah. <laughs> in the 19th century, when people's throats were narrower, the most... <laughs> the most common cause of death was choking on lemon pips. So when Marvin Stone invented the drinking straw in 1888, he designed it to have a diameter just narrow enough to stop lemon pips being sucked up. Lucy. That's an ingenious thing. I w yeah, good design in there. You're right. Yeah. It's ingenious and it's true. Yeah. The lemon was recently voted the most popular fruit in the world. And as a result, lemons are the most commonly mentioned fruit in song lyrics. Who can forget the German Eurovision Song Contest entry from 1983, Lemon Sweetheart, whose chorus went, na-na-na-na, sha-na-na-na, tra-na-na-na, lemons. <laughs> <laughs> and what about oranges and lemons, the nursery rhyme about the traditional brothels of the old East End? Tony. Oranges and lemons was a, a nursery rhyme about the uh, brothels of the East End. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> But, no, listen, you don't realise how authoritatively I said I that. <laughs> I know you, you're you could... rabidly anti-clerical, but it was, in fact, about the churches of, mm. of London. Mm. So. What, are you saying a brothel can't have a bell? <laughs> Time's up. <laughs> <laughs>
you literally, I'm sitting in front of hundreds of people thinking about whether a brothel can have a bell. <laughs> I don't think it's up to me. <laughs> the ones I use have hooters. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving aside the well-known first verse, did you know the song also features the lines pastries and seed buns, say the bells of St. Stephen's, and pancakes and fritters, say the bells of St. Peter's? <laughs> Lucy. Yeah. What? Little known verses. Which one? Of, oh, mm. God. Seed cakes and whatever that was. Pastries and seed buns, say the bells of St. Stephen's? Yeah. Nope. <laughs> oh! Tony. That's a fair, you gave him that yeah. one by saying which one? <laughs> yeah. St. Peter's one and the fritters. That's yeah, I remember. Right. I remember you're singing. About to buzz in. Yeah, I remember singing it. Yeah. On his way to the brothel. <laughs> <laughs> so I fancy a fritter. Keep my strength up before have, having sex with a prostitute. <laughs> With the, with the big prostitute bell. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Time for more sex with the prostitutes, says the bells of St. the Brothel. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> you hippies. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway... Yes. Pancakes and fritters, say the bells of St. Peter's, is a little-known rhyme from that song. Other forgotten lines include bullseyes and targets, say the bells of St. Margaret's, pokers and tongs, say the bells of St. John's, and old father bald pate, say the bells of Aldgate. Pies made of offal, say the bells of this brothel. (laughs) 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 But what about popular fiction? Has the lemon been more successful there? (laughs) Well, what about the notorious lemon scene in Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. Wisty? <laughs> Where Christian Beige torments the unfortunate heroine with a particularly large and sour fruit in his lemon-yellow room of pain until she utters the famous lines, OMG, the things he can do with that lemon. <laughs> My dark places are all aflutter. My belly is turning somersaults and my inner goddess is already making lemon meringue pie out of his dark desire. Holy hell, this is better than chocolate cake. There you go. Thank you, Charlie. And at the end of that round, Charlie, you've managed to smuggle one truth past the rest of the panel, which is that if you accidentally swallowed a fish bone, lemon juice was believed in the Middle Ages to dissolve it, giving rise to the custom of serving a slice of lemon with fish. Mm-hmm. And that means, Charlie, you've scored one point. <laughs> the Titanic was loaded with 16,000 lemons when she sank. And for passengers who liked a gin and tonic, I believe ice was also available. <laughs> Which brings us to the final score. In fourth place, with minus four points, we have Ed Byrne. In joint second place, with no points each, making a total of no points, it's Tony Hawks and Lucy Porter. And in first place, with an unassailable one point, it's this week's winner, Charlie Higson. And that's about it for this week. Goodbye. 
The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Naismith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Charlie Hickson, Lucy Porter, Ed Byrne and Tony Hawks. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and Colin Swash and the producer was John Naismith. It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.